Good morning, everybody. This is Chris Katolka, host of the Friends of Israel Jew and Gentile podcast. I'm your host. Uh, it's great to be with you early this morning. Steve, it's so early in the morning. I'm already thrown off. It is early in the morning. Where's that picture? Yeah, oh, frame picture. Hold it up. We Here we go. Stretch this morning. For all of our uh, people who watch on live stream, we have our. Let's say it together. Stretch. Stretch. Fetch. Fetch. Fits and plots. and plots. This is the four stages of Jewish exercise. We need that this morning. Morning, Steve. Oh, we do. Chris. I know. We do. <laughs> Stretch it out. All right, here we go. Everybody, welcome in. Welcome in, welcome in. Yeah, it is actually very early. Steve and I are doing a very early morning Jew and Gentile well, podcast. Well, for me, it's not that early. For you, it's early. Well, I mean, this is normally when I'm dropping kids off at school, That's and right. I'm not thinking as hard as I normally You're think. not in the office yet. I've already been in the office for a little while. So this is lunchtime for you. Is that what uh, you're saying? Kind of, kind of. Well, for our listeners, it's about uh, well, we, we, I, 7.30, but, you know, people aren't in the office yet, and so we have to get in bright and early. We, gotta, we have a busy week this week. So we have to squeeze the podcast in nice and early. Um, but uh, we got the Jewish sage with us, which is very important, Steve Herzig, because we're going to be talking about some feasts of Israel uh, today, the, the feasts of uh, Tabernacles and Simchat Torah, Steve. Yes, we are. And we I have to squ- we can't miss the podcast, Chris. I know. Uh, so we I think ha- people our three people would get upset. That's right. The, the the six people who listen to us and the three people who complain the, about <laughs> they would complain it wasn't there, and the other three would say, Ah, we'll catch them next that, week. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So we wanted to get it in and uh we're because we're in the middle of one of the feasts, the seventh and final feast of Leviticus. 23. That's exactly right. So we're going to talk about from the scriptures. We're going to look at feast of, the feast of Tabernacles, Simchat Torah, um, uh, and then also we have some great news for you after that. And then finally, well, I don't, is it great news? Well, I mean, it's okay. That's it's a, good a mixed point. bag. It's actually a mixed bag. There is some great news in the midst of yucky news. That's true, uh, but it's also it's enlightening news. Let's say that's a Absolutely. better word. Great I should word. I should be careful about what I say. It's not always great news, but enlightening news. Um, and then finally, uh, we're going to have our Yiddish word of the day. We are. We were just talking about this uh, with Alice, and I'll just say this. Alice is in studio, your wife. We're not going to put the camera on her. We're not going to put the microphone None of that. She doesn't. I want. have to drive home, Chris. That's right. We want to, <laughs> but she's in the podcast room right now. She's actually here listening and watching us and glad that we do not have the camera on her or the mic. On That's her. right. And in fact, I noticed when we started talking, Alice covered her ears because I guess what she's saying is it's, it's too loud, right? It's too loud. Um, That's the story of my life. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's got to be used to it by now. How many years have you two been married? We've been married 44, almost 45, and she still says I'm too loud. (laughs) Why are you yelling at me? I don't yell at her. I don't yell at my wife. Well, you do yell at her. It's just you're not yelling at her. She thinks I yell at her. Uh, yes, because but you're just the, talking. There are people in this office who think I'm yelling yeah, when it, I'm not yelling. No, that's so. right, because they hear you through the walls. That's, that's why. correct. But that's uh, correct. what was it? What's it like when Alice goes home to the Herzig, uh, you know, home base in Cleveland, where where uh, Blanche is and the sisters are? What is that like for Alice? She tries to leave. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? When we she first met them for the first time, she was in tears within 45 minutes of being there. <laughs> And she said, why, are you, why is all this yelling? And my parents looked at her and said, yelling? No one's, no one's yelling. Yeah. And, but she, 
Yeah. Compared to her house, the quiet fam, I call them the quiet family and we're the loud family. Well, I, and I've actually spent more time growing up with Alice's family, with Granny, and I know what you mean by it's more quiet, it's more, it's more, um, what's the refined. word? Refined. Refined, yes. They are a refined family. My family is not refined. But I've had food with Blanche, with your with your mother, and I've also went out to lunch with a sister or two of yours. And so I, I know what you're talking, because one Herzig is, I mean, I've been with the, the whole clan of Alice's family, and you're right, it's controlled. But I've been with one of your family members, and you're already louder than all of them combined. When so. my older sister came here in the office to tour the office, uh, there were people who were closing their doors. <laughs> Please don't let her come in. But that's only because uh, we're we're kind of over, we're we're too much for a lot of people. Well, you two make a great couple. That's all I have to say. So, um, well, we have got uh, a, a lot to talk about. We're going to transition now into um, into our study on the Feast of Tabernacles. And Steve, as you said, we're in the middle of this feast. And maybe for our listeners who are going, what is the Feast of Tabernacles? What's going on? Could you give us a, a, an overview of it? Biblically? Sure, sure. Tabernacles is the seventh feast. It's one of the feasts that Deuteronomy 16 tells us that we, the Jewish people, had to be in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, the men did have to be in Jerusalem. And it was a feast when the temple was uh, up. There were sacrifices done. There was what's called a water libation. I, mm-hmm. The first time I ever heard water libation. Uh, what is that? <laughs> what does that mean? Is, it a, is that a good word? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> but the ceremony involved the priests actually going to the Pool of Siloam. Yeah. And you know, Chris, for me, from the first time from growing up, I, I had no idea about how that really worked. And now I do because they recently found the tunnel, or it is a tunnel. It wasn't a tunnel then. It was a road from Siloam all the way to the southern part of the temple. Mm -hmm. And Chris, now it it makes so much more sense. Before, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, before they found all that, you wondered how— How did they get down there? How did did they they do that? Yeah. Uh, But anyway, they have huge menorahs uh, Mm. that lit— the temple up that rabbis comment comment uh, gave a commentary concerning how beautiful it was how it was an amazing light show yeah uh, so many things that you and I as believers can tie into to tabernacles but essentially as the last uh, feast it is the one that they remember their wandering they remember uh, how God was with them while they were wandering around. Uh, an 11-day journey that took 40 years total. Uh, And so Tabernacles is a feast of agriculture. It's a feast of celebration. It's a feast that honors God for being faithful to them. You know, you you connected it with with the harvest, with agriculture, and there's a lot of feasts of Israel that are associated with a harvest. uh, We love food, Chris. That's exactly... But a lot of them were associated with all of them before tabernacles is associated with bread. It's, uh, you know, harvesting the wheat, harvesting the barley. But what makes tabernacles so exciting is that you're harvesting the fun stuff now. You're harvesting the grapes for wine and olives for, you know, eating and dates for, you know, all the more pomegranates. pomegranates. Uh, yeah. oh, the, 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 it's like the candy. Uh, if when you compare it to, you know, not that wheat and barley are bad, but that's just that's sustenance. This is the exciting foods. And so there's both that connection of 
you know, God has provided for us in the wilderness. We're remembering God as, uh, as, uh, as, as he provided for us, but it's also the celebration because we're eating the fun foods now as well. And the, uh, another thing that they still do today is they have a lulav and an etrog. An etrog is a citrus fruit. It's bitter, uh, but it smells wonderful. Mm. And it's got a, oh, according to the very religious Jews, even the the pit, the part at the top, if it's broken off, it's trafe. We've talked about kosher and unkosher. And so you hold the etrog in your left hand and you hold the lulav, which is palm branches, willow branches, a myrtle. It's all tied together and they shake it. They actually shake it north, south, east, west. Again, it's an agricultural thing, thanking God for the bounty that he has given and also remembering his faithfulness mm. to us. So you got to eat in a Sukkah. Yeah, a sukkah. Uh, a sukkah is where, because the technical term, it's not feast of feast of tabernacles, is the e, the the English way of saying it, but the Hebrew way of saying uh, this festival is Sukkot. Exactly, which is what you're talking about. A sukkah, which is a booth. Uh, exactly, and uh, immediately after you fast, you break your fast at Yom Kippur. If you're in Israel, you break the fast. Every family comes together. We're we're done fasting. Let's eat. And they already begin to build the booth. Oh, really? Right after Yom Kippur? Right after. If you're if you're observant, you begin. Isn't that a great transition? That's awesome. I love you, that. You're you're you realize you're either going to be in the book of life or in the book of judgment. You've fasted. You've you've asked God to forgive you your sins. You have no idea. We say they have no idea where they are, but they've done it. And now, five days from then, they're going to be in the booth. It's an eight day feast. And so they say, Let, we're going to build it now. And so it's a joyous thing. They've been eating, and they're building the sukkah. What, what, can you explain what a sukkah is? The first time I ever saw a sukkah, this is probably, uh, it's got to be 20 years ago, I was with Friends of Israel, and there was a, a, a Christian bookstore that wanted to build one. And so I went out there, and I saw it. And it, it's fascinating, and it was, uh, it was big. It had... Um, it had, uh, you know, they they built sides to it, and then they had a covering over it. They put it was almost like they put like uh, corn, you know, husks corn. and what over. It's got to it. be agriculture, and the roof has to be have have holes in it. That's right. And the reason is they got to be able to see the stars because it reminds us of our temporary dwelling places while we were in the desert. You had to pick it up and move on to the next place. So it's a, a Chris. We always talk. And they about, hung. Fr- they hung. Fruit you from hang it. fruit from it. And today you're supposed to eat uh, your meals in it. You can even camp out, although I told you, enough with the camping already. You Before we started, you were talking about your camping trip with your kids and how your wife went once. Yeah. Uh, we like your wife. Because she only went once. You said, I don't even think she's going to go. Oh, well, we tortured her during that time. The, it, was, it was cold. But all that to say, I, I want to go back to this idea of the, of the booth. Uh, in the scriptures, are they required by law? To live for seven days in the booth? They're to build a booth and to, uh, it's not specific as to what they need to do. The rabbis have incorporated that. But the idea is just remembering to, to, to make sure, for instance, the sukkah can have three, has to have three sides, doesn't have to have four. You're not building a, a gazebo, you're building uh, something that's temporary 
And that's a certain height. I forgot the exact dimensions. The rabbis give the exact dimensions. But there's certain things that you do. Synagogues build them Mm -hmm. so that whole congregations can come in. And you're right. There's fruit. You eat your meals there. It's a joyous time. Uh, and But it's interesting that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, especially in America, most Jewish people do something for those holidays. For sukkah, not so much. Really? Because it seems like such a celebration. Like you finally have reached the end of Yom Kippur, the fast, the 10 days of awe, Rosh Hashanah. You've finally gotten to the end, and that seems like the big— ce- it, to me, it's a big celebration. You, uh, I'm telling you, you're right. But most most Jewish people know about sukkah. They probably did something at their synagogue when they were growing up. But it's not nearly as important in the minds of most American Jews uh, as Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. For for the Feast of Tabernacles, for Sukkot, the idea, the big idea is that God was with us, his presence was with us, and he provided for us as we wandered the the wilderness for 40 years. He camped with them. He camped. He, he, he dwelt with them, and that made a huge uh, uh, impression on the Jewish people. And, that, and, of course, we segue to the New Testament, Jewish people, no Christians around, God's presence celebrating that remember while the temple stood the disciples of Jesus even after the resurrection the temple is there mm-hmm. and uh they understood even though God's presence wasn't we, we know that from Ezekiel 8 through 11 uh, God's presence left but God's presence tabernacle was really really important and so when you read Matthew 17 Peter sees Jesus uh as he transforms in front of them, and he sees Moses, and he sees Elijah, what's the first thing? I'm, I'll test you. What was the first thing Peter said? He said, should, should we build booths here? Of course. The, yeah. the, look at who dwelt right here. Let's commemorate yeah. this event. This is a powerful event. And I would imagine, again, I can identify with Peter. Uh, he, it says, the text in Matthew says, while he was yet speaking. And... <laughs> That to me, you know what Peter was doing? Man, oh man, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, good to have, we're going to build, and while he's going on and on, a voice comes up, listen to my son, will you be quiet (laughs) for a minute? Peter. Just stop. Lock it up, Peter. (laughs) That would have been me. Yeah, that's right. God's going to cut you off, right? (laughs) (laughs) Who better than to cut you off? That's right. So, Steve, as we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, is there a moment in the Gospel of John where Jesus highlights the Feast of Tabernacles in one of, you know, as he's, especially as he's calling himself um, certain things, like, you know, he calls himself the light of the world. Look, those four huge candelabras would be, if we were doing a film on this part of his ministry, we would have Jesus giving this, uh, giving his speech, giving his sermon, and in the background at night are these four candelabras which are lighting up Jerusalem before there was any electricity, and he says, I am the light of the world. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Drawing attention to himself during tabernacles. We think about the idea of tabernacling that God's presence with his was with his people and we know that John highlights this in John 1:14 when he says the word became flesh and tabernacle. Oh, powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. Dwelt among us. And so you see that even Jesus is almost like a 
I, I mean this in the nicest way, but he's like a booth. He's carrying the glory of God, but no longer is the glory of God just in the Holy of Holies. It's walking among his people now. And the imagery that John gives us is the imagery of tabernacles that that he came down and he, he dwelt. Camped among, yeah, he, he camped. camped among his people for about 33 years, three of which were his ministry. And, you know, of course they appreciated him. We read the Gospels, but if you think about it, it's one of those times, and I've had them, you probably have had them, man, this this was big, yeah, it, it, bigger than the moment. And so you have to think about it later. That's why I think in terms of the way the apostle, the Peter's apostles, uh, letters are, he's writing after the fact. Uh, hey, we saw this. He's trying to test. We saw this. But if you asked him during the time, look, he was the one that I did. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. It, that's true. But it, it's even bigger that he probably thought to himself, man, I, he was with us. He was, he, Peter walked down the water with him. So you can't, you got to hand it to him. But I think Peter thought back about that and said, man, alive. I should have asked him a million more questions. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's even prophecy about the future um, is connected to this feast. Because uh, number one, it, it the feast points to the fact that Jesus is going to return and God's going to bring his kingdom to earth and God will dwell with us, as it says in Revelation chapter 21, that, uh, you know, John heard a loud voice, and it says, you know, uh, talking about the new Jerusalem coming down, God's presence is dwelling with man, that same concept of tabernacling with man. But in Zechariah 14, it mentions that all the, not only will Jewish people, but the nations will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. Why, why, why would the nations have to get involved in well, a Jewish well, holiday. Zachari- I like uh, Zechariah 8.23 said, 10 of you, it doesn't say you, it says 10 Gentiles. I'm saying 10 of you, Yep, Chris, exactly. The are Jew and Gentile to me, podcast. They're going to come to me and, gra- and grab my sweater and say, hey, take us to Jerusalem. We want to worship at the Feast of Tabernacles. That's in the millennium. Yeah. They're, the, the nations will come if they don't. Yeah, there's punishment, oh, strict if punishment. they don't. No water. Yeah. No water. Just like Elijah could hold the water. And and this is in the millennium. So be obedient. The king is seated on the throne, the Davidic throne on the earth. Not all Christians agree with that, but we at Friends of Israel would say that. He is on the Davidic throne, that that throne that was promised to Israel for the forever, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And Tabernacles is a fulfillment of the story that God gave through those seven feasts. If our listeners would go back to our Leviticus mm-hmm. uh, uh, study that, that we did, when we got to Leviticus 23, we had to go through each of those, each of those feasts, which tell a story, prophetic story, that will we believe will be fulfilled with the Feast of Tabernacles in the millennium. Mm. Okay, so the, there is this element of the fact that God's going to come down, he will dwell. The idea is Tabernacles is that God it's God is coming down. I always try to remind people that we're not just going up. We will go up, we'll, you know, when you die, if you if you die, you know, you're absent from the body, present with the Lord, which means you're with the Lord. Uh we believe in the pre-trib rapture of the church. Um, and that means that we will go up and be with Christ. But really, the point, the picture of what God is doing in the scriptures is coming down, that God wants to be with his creation. He was came down 
in, in, in the Garden of Eden to be with Adam and Eve and his creation. He came down in the tabernacle to dwell. He came down in the temple to dwell. He came down in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, He has to come down. He has to come down. Revelation 19, Jesus comes down uh, at his second coming. And then finally, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. So, you know, it's the... The Feast of Tabernacles, I think, incorporates all those elements that God is going to come down and to dwell with us. And I think that's one of the major reasons that God calls all the nations to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, to honor his presence with all humanity, with all the earth that he created. And things will kind of go back to the garden. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. Weapons of war will be turned into instruments of righteousness. We'll study war no more. Mm -hmm. Uh, When the king returns... Uh, he will bring peace, mm. real peace, mm. and there will be real justice. You know, uh, when Alice and I were traveling to Connecticut a couple weeks ago, we saw in front of a church, no peace, uh, no no justice, no peace. Well, right now, as we live in the church age, I could tell you there is no justice. Mm-hmm. There, uh, there is no justice. Uh, it, it, if you get it, it's like a blind squirrel, which you know occasionally picks up a nut. Yeah, <laughs> uh, could happen. Uh, sometimes there is, but generally people say life's unfair. I th- I think it is. Yeah, and so they're saying no justice, no peace for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could testify as friends of Israel people, Tetiana, who was on our when the war began in February, we had. Tetiana, right at the beginning, I believe. That was sometime... Yeah, Tetiana's our uh, Friends of Israel representative in Ukraine. And we she, had her on the day the war started, actually. That's right. We and didn't so know that. She would say, she would, she, in fact, her last email was, it's a scary situation, but she has peace in the midst of war. Mm-hmm. That's only because of her relationship with Jesus Christ. The Millennial Kingdom when they celebrate tabernacles and there'll be joy and gladness, it's because the king is here and there is no war. Mm-hmm. There is justice because the king is going to rule justly. He'll rule with a rod of iron. It's going to be entirely different. Yeah, it's interesting that we talk about uh, justice and peace because a lot of times, you know, revolutions start because there is no justice. America was started because they felt there was an injustice between what was going on in, in London with the king and what was Taxation happening. Taxation without representation. Exactly. And so they got angry with the, the injustice that their voice was not heard over there, even though they were contributing to the economy and all that. And so that helped uh, that helped form the, the, the history of our of the United States. You know, you could talk about the French Revolution and, and the injustices that were happening to the people. Injustice will often lead to unrest. And so, um, which I'm, I'm not calling we're gonna, for We're going to have a news item about Iran and a follow-up it, just like that. We'll talk about that. Exactly. And so the, the opposite side of that, though, is that the the prophet Isaiah tells us what it will be like when Jesus comes, which is what you said. He will bring true justice, and because he'll have true justice, he'll bring true righteousness, which means that people will do the right thing, and he will do the right thing, and then ultimately, because of that, there will be peace. And that is, it, it, and we're talking about real peace. The kind what of, a day. Yeah. What a day. Okay, so anyway, the other thing, though, Steve, I want to hear, is there a funny story that you have growing up about uh, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles? I can't think of a funny story. Why? Do you, did I tell you one that I don't No, no, no. no. I, I mean, because I, I, I wanted to throw it to you first because you grew up doing the Feast of Tabernacles. No, I can't. I, we, I remember in Hebrew school, we loved 
uh, tabernacles because it, we weren't we didn't have to study anymore. We were going into the. They served us food. We went into the sukkah. We had to wave the. We held our etrog and our lulav. So it was a fun time. I, for me in school, there are two kinds of students. There's the ones that are bookworms, and there's the ones that spend all their time figuring out how not to be a bookworm. <laughs> and I was of the latter. So when there was a sukkah, when we had sukkah, it was no no opening up the chumash, no doing book work. We were go, we were having fun, and I loved that. So I, that's no good. funny stories, but it was fun. Okay, so I have a funny one. Now I experienced my first feast of tabernacles um, later on in life when I was with friends of Israel, and I was an intern, and there was uh, one of our um, representatives in Brooklyn, New York, Gary Morris. And um, Gary invited me to come up, and Brooklyn is amazing during the Feast of Tabernacles because all of the Hasidic Jewish people, the religious Jewish people, build booths on their um, in their apartments, and the, all of the um, balconies are full. Like I mean, they're just covered, just like Israel. That's right. And so uh, it's really a cool experience. And um, and so we went to a dinner that night of a rabbi. And it was a Hasidic rabbi. So, of course, as the Gentile, I'm standing out completely, you know. And um, and so we're sitting around a table. And my first big mistake is I'm sitting there, and there's this nice glass of clear. It just looked like water to me. I'm already laughing. Yeah. Go it, ahead. So that we're all they're about to do a blessing, okay? Do the blessing. Was it the, schnapps? It was vodka. <laughs> So I pick it up and I and I they go you know yeah and so I take a drink oh that shocked the daylight out of me and then Chris said let's have another (laughs) another round please Uh, no I was I was absolutely like Gary what a little prep would have been nice so then we're 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 all having dinner and the rabbi don't worry I won't tell Jim Shower thank you very much I appreciate that yeah Uh, it's in my record I think. But uh, uh, so then we're, we're we're sitting around and the rabbi was so nice, but there was this guy that was staring at me like because I, I did stand out. I was different. And so he's just staring at me. And then he comes over and he taps me on the shoulder and he says, follow me. And I go, oh, my God, I, I've never been to Brooklyn before. I'm in New York. I'm in my early 20s. So he goes, follow me. So I follow him. And we're going, he goes, come into my house. And I'm going, oh, I hope I make it out. You know, I was just nervous. So every time he'd make a corner, his house was dark. And every time I'd make a, he'd make a turn in his home, I would like peek around the corner like, what is going on? So he finally gets to his room, Steve, and he, he, he starts talking to me. He goes, it's dark in this room. Yeah, it's very dark in this room. And he goes, it is very dark. We have friends staying over, but it's just so dark. It's dark. Should I turn the light on? He goes, if you want to. So, oh, so <laughs> you were the Sabbath guy. I was a Sabbath guy. <laughs> My first opportunity. So I turned the light on. He goes, and let's go back to even ask you to turn it on. He, <laughs> no, just... he hinted. And so uh, I turned it on. He goes, let's go back and eat now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, good. That, That's a good story. That was a great opportunity. And I loved being in Brooklyn with Gary Morris and do, feast. Oh, and then we went to um, the synagogue. Oh, and they were dancing, Steve, and they were jumping around and they were celebrating. It was it was the most amazing thing. They had a few of those uh well, few, few too many <laughs> shots of celebration. So anyway, that was my experience with the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, but always enlightening, Steve, to study and look at the look at the not only what the Jewish people are celebrating today, but what the Bible says about it and the richness of these feasts, what Jesus was doing, how it points to Jesus, and not only what it points to Jesus in his first coming. 
but points to Jesus in his second coming as well. It's the complete story. It's a great story. All right, but we have another one too. Yep, we you do. you have a you want to start a special day for Christians. I do. I want National Bible Day. <laughs> we have to look up to see if we already have National Bible Day. I think we well, Jewish people already do. We invent if they do have National Bible Day, it's because the Jewish people invented it. I like it. Simchat Torah. Uh really rejoicing in the Torah. It's uh on it will happen on the 16th of October. I'm looking up right now to see if we have a National Bible Day. Because yeah, if not, I, I, I'm on board with you. Let's do it. At, at, on Simchat Torah, they're singing and clapping and dancing, and it's all done in front of the Torah scrolls, Chris. At the, you're in synagogue. They bring out the Torah scrolls. Several of uh, the a synagogue is known for how many Torah scrolls it has. Did you find the answer? I did. There is a National Bible Day. And when is it? You can actually go to nationaltoday.com to find out that National Bible Day is on January 31st. You see, they should move it to October. That's right, because to fit with Simchat Torah. Exactly. So so what they're look, God bless them for having it, but they're <laughs> imposters. They're imposters. The real thing is Simchat Torah. Well, it's funny because they make sure it lands every day. Uh, for Christians, they make sure it lands every day on Sunday. Yeah, I understand. Hey, Lord bless them. I'm glad they do. I, obviously, I didn't know about it. Did you know about I it? I didn't know about it. So that means there's a good chance for you to come in there and really shake things up, you know? <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to shake things up, but I am going to tell you that at the at Simchat Torah, there's the celebration of the ending of reading the Torah for us, chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, and then going right to the beginning back again in Genesis. The reading of the Torah is cyclical mm -hmm. every year. And Simchat Torah, the congregation gets together. They're singing and dancing and clapping and uh, rushing up to the, uh, to the scrolls to kiss them. It's, an, it's honoring the Word. Mm. And isn't that interesting? Because as believers, in, in the Word became flesh. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says the Word is living, powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. So we get it. Our people get it. Uh, we miss, we miss the living word. We miss the living Torah, uh, who we believe is a person of Jesus Christ. But from a Jewish point of view, Simchat Torah, the word—that's that's the camping place. Yeah, that we ought to be. Um, when you do, you you mentioned that Jewish people read the Torah throughout the whole year. Each and that, Shabbat, there's each, fifty-four readings. There's fifty fifty-four of them, and that's called the. Parshat, is that right? Parsha is portion. Oh, Parsha. Well, I call I always called it Parsha at our synagogue, but I, I don't know the Techn I guess the technical name, but it's Parsha. It's a portion, and there's 54 of them, which takes them through uh, the whole Torah. And the portion that they read, they and that's read, just the first five books of Moses. They read there. the first five. When you're at synagogue, you'll read five books, the Parsha part of the Torah until it's through. And then you also read some of the writings and the prophets as well. Um, that so much is not necessarily read the whole, what we call the Old Testament, but you'll read portions of it. That's why people always talk about the fact that uh, they don't read in, in the public Isaiah chapter 53. There are other parts that aren't read. Mm -hmm. I wish they'd read Isaiah 53, but they read every word from the Torah. Um I want to go back to this concept that you mentioned about how they value the the Torah. They kiss the Torah, and it, you know what? It's always it's always a fine balance between the you know 
it's a fine balance to understand how to value the word, because I actually look at how they treat the Torah, and I go, you know what, we should be treating the word of God like that. We should be, you know, revering it. Sometimes I find myself holding my Bible and I just kind of plop it down. You know, that to, it, they don't do that in synagogues. There's a value to it. They can't, uh, That's sacrilegious. I mean, they don't even touch it with their own finger. They use a special— uh, They use a yad. It's a, a hand. Yad, a hand. A silver hand. That's right. That goes through. There's a reverence to the Torah, to the law, that I think is amazing. But then it also can become an idol in the sense that you idolize, you forget the words that are—the the words aren't actually changing you inside. That's the difference. You know, yes, we we kiss it, we, 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 we hold it, we honor it, we dance with it, but then the words should also—that are in that Torah should change us— Exactly. And and because like you said, it's the living word. And I do. But it's funny, though, because I also find myself sometimes I get all done with from church. I take my Bible, put it down. Boom, it's done, you know, or and I and I or I'll just put it over here or do. And I just think, you know, there's a there's a fine balance between it is the word of God. It is God's word. And sometimes we can trivialize it by just putting it wherever and doing whatever. But it also should change us inside. That's the big thing you as have, well. You're talking about balance here, but I remember when I first uh, heard from uh, my sister who had a Bible, she underlined the Bible. I was outraged. How could you write? She highlighted texts in the Bible our synagogue gave. And then uh, there, she would have a Bible, and there'd be another book on top of it. You're not allowed to do that. If you drop the scrolls, even during Simchat Torah, you got to fast 40 days, mm. 40 days. <clears throat> and so that's a that's a real problem. But at the same time, just as you said, yes, you revere it. Yes, it is. It is so important. But if you don't read it, yeah. <laughs> I, the, the best part or funny story about that is uh, before I ever went to California, I I got the same Bible my sister did. It was white leather, gold embossed. It had cellophane over it, and I put it in the top drawer where I keep my underwear. And I never read it at all until two weeks before I left, and I cannot explain why I did that. I can explain it now. God was preparing me. I, where do you, I said, where do I read? I'll start in Genesis. I guess mm -hmm. that's the place to start. Little did I realize that I was becoming at least familiar again uh, in order when my sister shared Christ with me from the same Bible she got. That's amazing. Uh, so it's it but it had cellophane on. Though my pages were gold uh edged and perfect. I mean press perfect. When I saw her Bible, it was gray. The her name, which was gold uh stamped on her leather cover, was worn out. She'd been reading her Bible. Mm -hmm. So where if God was giving out awards, look, I present my beautiful Bible, the gold, every it's pristine, it's in perfect shape. And I say to God, look at this Bible, it is amazing. Yep. And then my sister, uh, um, sorry, Lord, you know, my pages are worn out. I've been, you know, they're bent. Uh, the the cover is not white, it's gray. And God will say, well done, yep. well done. Yep. And to me, he'll say, loser. Yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't say loser. Well, he had a plan, but he no, did. But I know what you're but, saying, but, though. But in, ju in ju which one do you want to be? You want so you want a combination. That's what a, if it, what if you say, "Hey, uh, this is the Bible. I'm not going to put my coffee on top of it. I'm not going to throw it like this. I'm going to respect it because it's the Word 
of God, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to read it. Exactly. That's the fine bit. Because I do, I actually, when I watch them at Simchat Torah or when I, when I saw them um, bringing the Torah, and they do that even during a typical uh, Sabbath service or Shabbat service, they bring the Torah out and it's honored and revered as it's read. Like there's a real buildup to it being read because it is God's word. Uh, but at the same time, I sit there and I go, well, it seems like you're just idolizing the Torah. You're not idolizing or you're not worshiping the God whose words are on that Torah as those words should be changing us. So it was just an interesting it is. little thing to think about. Things to think about, Chris. That's right. So Simcha Torah is a, a, a great time. Hey, I'll say let's make it National Bible Day. Let's do it. Let's see if anybody's with us, all right? Hey, everybody, just a quick reminder as we move here. The uh, Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. Howard, do you know what FOI Equip is? FOI Equip is your opportunity, if you're a first-time listener, to study the Bible from a Jewish perspective. And that's why I want to encourage you to go to foiequip.org, like Friends of Israel, foiequip.org. And there you can actually sign up for our live online classes, Steve. And we've got some exciting— And exci- you are teaching—you're in your last week? No, I'm oh, in— second week. This is my second week second tonight. Second week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's over 700 people that registered. We have 700 people registered. We had And a- there's room for more. Hey, come on. You More more the merrier. It's a Zoom class. It's live. It's online. I'm doing intertestamental history. So last week we looked at the Persian period. And, Steve, I was just stunned to think of how God was orchestrating— all the movements, even when his his word wasn't being written down, revelation was done. It ended in the Old Testament. Even when it ended, God, even though he wasn't giving us divine revelation through the scriptures, he was giving, he was still moving. He was preparing the way for the entryway of the word. Of exactly, of, of the Lord Jesus himself. I was just thinking of how there was so much shaky ground um, when it came to the fact that the Messiah has to come through the Davidic line and it seemed like it was all said and done because it looked like the whole thing got cut off. David's line got cut off. And then a little tiny verse pops up that says Jehoiakim is in Babylon and he makes friends with the king and the king moves them up. And all of a sudden we see the line of Jesus preserved. And it's just in one tiny little verse, but you would never even notice it or think much about it. But because of one verse in one moment, God preserved the line of David, which ultimately would would bring about the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. The providence and the sovereignty of God, you could see it in so many places in the Word and even in between the word. That's exactly right. So tonight we're actually going to be looking at uh, 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 the Greek period. But all that to say, you know, you, if you can't make the classes, that's fine. We have all of our classes on YouTube, and you can watch them uh, on demand. We have more than a year of ha- year and a half of classes. If you want to learn about the Fall Feast of Israel, we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. Last year, Steve did the class on the fe- uh, Fall Feast of Israel. We have everything from Israel and prophecy to even Jewish cuisine, all of it's online that you can watch and, and enjoy. So I encourage you to go to foi.org forward slash uh, foi equip.org, uh, and there you can um, sign up and be on our mailing list, see what future uh, classes are coming up, and uh, be a part of the, uh, the the learning of the Bible from a Jewish perspective. It's foiequip.org. So, Steve, let's talk about what's going on in the news. Well, let's do a follow-up first, Chris. We talked about the hijabs that the in Iran that uh, a gal who... Uh, Mah- M-A-H-S-A, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, I apologize, Omni, who died uh, because she didn't wear her hijab, mm-hmm. and there was protesting. We talked about that, and and uh, NPR 
interviewed, had an interview uh, with a gal who was senior correspondent of Radio Free Europe and talked about what's happening there uh, as far as women, their life and their lack of freedom and the uh, protest. We just talked about the idea of your when you feel like you don't have freedom, yeah. uh, you people begin to get upset. When there's so, injustice, things so happen. That's, so here's what's, here's what's happening. It says they were chanting death to the dictator. This is students. This is after the death. And after they've ramped down, they've killed 50-some people, 28 young people. And uh, the lady said they were chanting death to the dictator, which had been one of the chants of the current protests in Iran. I must say I was surprised that the protests are going on despite the brutal state crackdown. According to Amnesty International, at least 52 people have been killed. Many people have been arrested. And today, the Iranian Society for the Rights of Children said that 28 children at least have been killed during the past three weeks. Mm. Uh, and so what's happening, it's sweeping the country. As they clamp down, more people are protesting. Yep, It's kind of the way the growth of the Church of Jesus Christ is. And you'll find that as more people are persecuted and not allowed to worship and not allowed to evangelize and talk about Christ and baptize people, countries, wherever they are, that clamp down, the church grows. Mm -hmm. It gets bigger. It's and In our country, Chris, we're not suppressed. We ha You go to your church, carry your Bible, and it seems that, uh, you know, que sera, sera. Not so in countries that are where it's very hard. The Christians there are are, are stronger. Mm -hmm. They they're spiritually stronger because they are so conscious of their freedom in Christ. Yeah, you think about those Christians in China who are you know that the churches are state mandated. Uh, uh, the 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 Chinese government can shut a church down if it doesn't follow the state laws and state rules. Um, uh, so a lot of them are forced to go underground, and you think, and, and then you hear these amazing stories of how many Christians there are underground worshiping the Lord, but that comes not because of the freedom that they have to worship, it comes because of the the uh, the persecution that they face. Um, and the same thing in Iran, too. There are underground Christians in Iran that are worshiping the Lord, and they face severe persecution. But here are probably Muslim women. These just, are Muslim women. Yeah, who just want to take off their hijab and they don't want to, or they don't want to follow the ways of the ayatollahs uh, because they're being oppressed. And now we're seeing a, a, a reaction. And I think we mentioned this before. It's going to be interesting to see how Western countries respond to these women that are standing up, and how the country's responding. Will they side? Are we going to support these? Are Muslim women? Are we going to support them and encourage them? It's a with the oil and Russia and all that politics. It's a sticky wicket, it's as a, the British would well, say. Well, that's for a sticky wicket for the—that's the, right. And the, why are we taking oil from Iran to begin with? Why, or or what, that's a whole other yeah, We don't have enough time to talk about that, well, we, Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's just something that—the um, the link for that is on our uh, podcast notes, if you'd like to go there and check it out. But, Steve, there's another interesting one yeah, that we found. Yeah, you should talk about this, Chris, because you know this gentleman. I don't know him. Read the headline and— Tell us a little background about it. Yeah, this comes from the Times of Israel. Pro-Israel watchdog group accuses senior U.N. official of trying to block its work. U.N. watch files complaint to U.N. chief against senior Human Rights Council Eric Tis 
Stonet, alleging he uh, repeatedly harassed and discriminated against the group and its leader. I'd first like to highlight the UN Watch. If if any of our friends are listening and they're on Facebook or um, Twitter or social media platforms, I encourage them to um, like and follow and share UN Watch. UN Watch is uh, is run by a man named Hillel Nur, who for years has been calling out the um, the unbalanced justice, if you will, the injustice against Israel and the UN. Steve, in fact, I have UN Watch has a website called unwatch.org. And just to talk about, um, you know, the how unbalanced and uh, unjust uh, Israel is represented in the UN, just listen to some of these numbers. Since 2015, the UN resolutions against Israel since 2015 are 125. There's 125 resolutions against Israel since 2015, okay? Listen to the rest of the countries. Iran, six. (laughs) We're just talking about the uprising of women who can't— 56 people, women have been killed, killed. 28 kids because of a hijab. Because of a hijab. Okay, six uh, uh, um, uh, UN resolutions against them. North Korea, who's launching missiles, uh, a communist country that abuses its people if they don't fall in line, seven. Uh, Syria. Syria with uh, Bashar al-Assad and the corruption and the and the civil war going on and the murder of uh you know various peoples in Syria 9 Myanmar uh 6 Russia Russia who is going Just into invade Ukraine. They're going into countries and How many they get? 19. Five. Oh, 19. Oh, wow. That's right. Oh, Com- double digits. Compared to Israel 100 and whatever. Yeah. United States. This is interesting. United States, eight. China. Guess how many for China? Five. Zero. <laughs> China's a perfect country. They're, Everybody should go oh, there. Oh, people love China. Uh, go there for vacation. Um, Cuba, zero. Qatar, zero. Libya, zero. Turkey, Why zero. Are all, and many of these people are trying to come to our country from these countries, which have such a low mark. I'm telling Pakistan. Zero. Uh, Venezuela, zero. Zimbabwe, zero. So, uh, number one, uh, Hillel Nur, who is the head of this UN Watch, is try every time there's a, um, a Human Rights Council that meets. And Steve, if you remember the Human Rights Council, um, during the Trump administration, they pulled out of the Human Rights Council because of Israel's undue, uh, unjust representation there when it comes to the uh, condemnation that they receive. So, but the, now we're back in it again. And, um, and so he, this, the, the UN watch is saying that they are being abused um, uh, d- during these uh, meetings. Um, it says that Eric Tistuent, who is the one who uh, is the one discriminating them repeatedly instructs me to move UN watch further down the list for uh, interactive dialogues and panel discussions such that they would fall below the maximum number of non-government organizations, NGOs, participants, and lose the opportunity to speak. So UN Watch, during the, the point is, is that during these um, uh, human rights councils, they get a chance to speak up and defend Israel. And, um, but th- what's happening is they're getting pushed uh, to the side so that they don't get an opportunity to speak, and so he's calling them out. But you know what's good in this article that you, again, as a reminder, you're putting those links in 
so people can access it. It says some of Noor's appearances at the UN have gone viral with the video shared on social media networks, racking up millions of views. A speech he gave at the UN Human Rights Council in 2017, five years ago, in which he responded to accusations that Israel engages in ethnic cleansing of Palestinians had nearly 8 million mm. views. So the word can get out, and we thank God for for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's one of those things where hopefully there's a response now that it's made um, international news and we're talking about it. But again, I mean, it just goes to show 125 resolutions against Israel. Even if you added up all of the resolutions brought against Iran, North Korea, Syria, Myanmar, Russia, the United States, China, Cuba, if you added all of them up, it still wouldn't even come close to the number of resolutions brought against a democratic country in the Middle East, the only democratic country, the state of Israel. Chris, of the freest Muslim people are Israeli Muslims. Yeah. Access, women have access to schools, universities, they drive cars, they could wear hijabs, they don't have to wear hijabs, nobody stops them. The freest Muslims actually live in Israel. I just did a, a new spot for the radio, Stephen, for Friends of Israel on the fact that Israel, the Israeli police were arresting an Israeli man who wanted to blow the shofar on the eastern wall of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, which is Israeli-controlled. It's Israeli land, sovereignty. He wanted to blow a shofar, and he would do it, and then the police would arrest him. And he'd go back, and I think what happened is he became an activist. He goes, oh, I'm blowing the shofar. So many people got upset that there were some members of Knesset that came to blow the shofar uh, to stand up and say, we have a right to do this. It's our freedom to do it. Just as it's a Muslim's freedom to walk through Jerusalem and go to the Temple Mountain, where it's our freedom to blow a shofar. The, the Israeli police were arresting him because of uh, the activist because they were nervous that it would spark a riot. And so they— they basically got rid of Israel, basic Israeli law, which says you, you have the freedom to worship, uh, in, in the name of security. But a judge sided with, uh, with that uh, activist who was blowing the shofar. It's funny to think it's an activist trying to blow a shofar, you know, and, um, and, uh, and he won. But, the, but he got arrested several times in the state of Israel. So here, they are, here we are talking about the UN, the global body. Even in the state of Israel, they're— the own people are shutting them down from blowing a shofar, doing something that's very Jewish in a very Jewish area, Jerusalem, and they're trying to shut that down. Again, a democratic pro You see the freedom that's there. You would think they go, oh, freedom works, democracy works over there. Nope, let's give them another resolution. You know, that's the. It's an interesting study when you look at how Israel is treated, how even Israelis treat their own people in light of the rest of the world. And Chris, as time continues to tick, it's going to continue to just hurtle towards God's final plan. And part of that plan is uh, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are in trouble. Israel's in trouble. Uh, tourists, tourists is coming. Mm. And it could come here to this country as well. Uh, but we can be confident, just like Tetiana, in the midst of war, in the midst of tourists, there is our resolve and we camp with God. We camp with him, the living Torah. And our hope is in the fact that there will be a shofar, a oh, loud shofar, and that we will blow right up there. <laughs> That's right, from Jerusalem when, when uh, the king amen comes. Amen and amen. All right, Steve, here we go. 
Yiddish word of the day. The Yiddish word of the this day. This is a good one. I never even heard this before, Steve. Actually, I didn't know it was Yiddish. I actually thought it was Hebrew. I used to, we used to have to do it. And in fact, I was with Lorna Simcox, editor-in-chief of uh, Israel My Glory magazine, who actually recited this prayer, benching after you eat. That's the word. Bench. Bench. Not the not mench. We've done mench. We've done mench. And not mench on a bench. That's an English word. Bench is Yiddish for blessing. Interesting. We, we ble- Christians pray before they eat. Jewish people pray before they eat. And they pray after they eat. <laughs> They're so thankful before and after. And uh, the prayer after actually takes a little while to do. And it's called benching. But we can bench. You could give a bench a blessing. Uh, Is that what so they say? Give a bench? You, you don't hear it too much. You only hear it in reference to the blessing after you eat. So it's called it's called benching. Uh, but the word bench, if you look it up in Yiddish words, it just means blessing. So if a mensch benches, he's a, a good well, man. He's a who's double mensch. <laughs> because if, if you bless after you eat and he is a mensch, you'd say that mensch is a real mensch. But then you can also bench a mensch. You can, you can bench them. People will hear that and say, "What? What are you going to do?" Exactly. <laughs> well, that's what, it's our uh, four stages of uh, that's Jewish the, that's exercise. That's how we started today. That's right. Vetch or stretch. Vetch. You got it. Not, not. It's kvetch. Kvetch. Kvetch is complain. So you stretch. That's what we did this morning. Then you complain about it. Oh, kvetch. And what's the third one? Schwitz. Schwitz. That means you sweat. Plots. And then you plots on the couch and say, thank God I'm done. Well, you know what you just did there? What? You benched. <laughs> when you thank God, <laughs> you bench. So I'm going to throw in a fifth stage, and that's when you're done exercising. You actually bench because you're praising God. You're done the work, right? There you go. <laughs> that's great. All right, so bench is our Yiddish word of the day. I want to thank you so much for being a part. And thank of- Alice for being oh, a Alice, silent th- partner. I know, Alice. Thank you so much. That's <laughs> If you have Alice is going to one day come on the podcast and talk. I know she has a lot to say. She's got 45 years of things to uh, say. Uh, we don't have enough time. That's right. Well, I want to thank all of our listeners for being with us. All three of our listeners for being with us. Hey, do me a favor. Go to foiequip.org and while you're there, register for my class tonight, Intertestamental History, where we're looking at what happened in between the testaments. You can do that by going to foiequip.org and Steve you got a deal for them. How much does that class cost? Free. What a deal, as Such you would say. Such a deal. Well, anyway, we want you to come to our free online class, foiequip.org. I hope to see you tonight. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you next week.